think you got to look critically at your life and go, in what arenas am I pushing myself right now? Because if everything in your life is safety, if all arenas, if you're not pushing yourself in anywhere, so it's okay to be, maybe you have work and that's your arena in which you're really, really pushing yourself um, and really striving and really looking for more. So it's okay to be playing it a little bit more safe, let's say, in the home arena or in the working out arena. Um, but if you take a critical look at your life and you identify like, oh fuck, I'm not pushing my edge in any at all, all arenas, I'm just like safety zone. Mm. Um, that's when you have to take a, a step back and go, okay, that's not growing me. So really that critical first question is, am I pushing myself anywhere right now? And if not, what's the area in which I want to be pushing myself that I'm choosing to push and how can I begin to push my edge in that area? Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Well, here we go. Yeah. Mr. Alex Nelson. Round two. Back again. Back again. After uh, after a sauna, after a cold plunge, got the brain, we're all zenned out here. Yeah. Zenned <laughs> out in the zen room right now. Yeah. It's the first time I've done an in-person mm-hmm. podcast in a while, which is like really good. And um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about you know, what you've been up to because, you know, your journey and everything through Ecuador and, you know, medicine space has been really interesting for me. So I'm really excited to be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, dive into that and hear about it, man. Cause, uh, it's new territory for a lot of people. Some, a lot of people are just learning about now it's really entered the public space of psychedelics and of different entheogens and plant medicines and of course that's the space i've been involved with for a long time but even that has taken some new turns and unfoldings for me as it did in ecuador so i'm excited to be here and excited to share today yeah man so you know last time we did a podcast we did mine and we did yours and we kind of got into um, talking about your story. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to kind of go back and, and listen to that, it was a powerful conversation about your story and, um, you know, why you kind of got into this. So we won't go too much into your backstory about this, but I highly recommend you guys, you know, go and check out that episode with Alex and check out Through the Veil as well because mm-hmm. both really powerful episodes. And I've been wanting to do a second one with you because um, I've always resonated with your message. Mm-hmm how you deliver it and how you show up. So I guess let's let's kind of just kick off as to like, you know, I think we were talking last time, we were talking kind of in the COVID area, the right in the beginning-ish mm-hmm. areas. How has your, how has things changed for you with your medicine journey? Mm-hmm. Walk us through kind of like the last 12 months. Yeah, big question. Just about everything has changed, it feels like. Yeah. I think, you know, 
transitioned out of a relationship that was five years long. So that was a big piece that came about because of the Ecuador trip. The practices of serving medicine, of working with mushrooms, have really deepened um, in a really special way that I felt blessed to be receiving. Um, a lot more singing coming from me in ceremony, which is new and interesting, um, as well as some beautiful additions like my partner, um, who helps me facilitate ceremonies as well. So over the last 12 months, I've really sort of unpacked everything in my life and started to rebuild it and taken apart many things that I had constructed over the years and really had created to create a sense of safety and took a critical look at those and went, okay, is safety what I need right now? Mm. Or do I need to be pushing my edge? Um, of course, the answer was pushing my edge. And it's been extraordinarily uncomfortable in some ways, but really, really beautiful in a lot of other ways. So the last 12 months have been very, very transformative, very painful, but transformative. How do you know whether it's time to push through that feeling of safety? Because, I mean, it's nice to feel safe, right? But at the same time, like, when do you know when you're like, you got to push through that? I think you got to look critically at your life and go, in what arenas am I pushing myself right now? Because if everything in your life is safety, if all arenas, if you're not pushing yourself in anywhere, so it's okay to be, maybe you have work and that's your arena in which you are really, really pushing yourself um, and really striving and really looking for more. So it's okay to be playing it a little bit more safe, let's say, in the home arena or in the working out arena. Um, but if you take a critical look at your life and you identify like, oh fuck, I'm not pushing my edge in any at all all arenas i'm just like safety zone mm. um that's when you have to take a, a step back and go okay that's not growing me so really that critical first question is am i pushing myself anywhere right now and if not what's the area in which i want to be pushing myself that i'm choosing to push and how can i begin to push my edge in that area mm. why has why has plant medicine been, why has that been the choice as to like the avenue where you explore and push yourself? Mm. Like, why is that so important to you? Yeah. I, like many of us, not all of us, but many of us have a very healthy ego and it likes, we all do. likes <laughs> to tell me funny stories <laughs> about how I'm amazing and special and great and don't need to change a thing and you know, stories about other people and stories about myself. And because of that, I find a lot of value in the plant medicine realm because it gives me this unique opportunity to dissolve that a bit and to allow the ego to really soften back so I can get a chance to look at myself with those fresh eyes, with the eyes of the higher self, if you will. Um, and higher self can even just be a conception of the best version of you that's out there. Like the person you could be if you were your fullest self. Mm. And I kind of almost like to imagine that that's a version of me that's sitting somewhere in the future, looking back at me going like, oh, thank you, 
Alex from the past for choosing the things which have <laughs> created me. Um, but whether it's your higher self or whatever, it gives you a chance to interact with those best pieces of yourself without the ego. And what's really critical for me is that ability to step outside of my story sometimes because I get so wrapped up in stories of insecurity, fear, anger, hurt. Um, you know, other people aren't loving me the way I need to be loved, whatever it may be. And when you get into the psychedelic space, you get this unique opportunity where it, it shows you and goes, oh, hey, uh, I know you're telling a really cute story about how everyone's out to get you. Uh, have you considered the fact that you've been making everyone be out to get you through your behavior? <laughs> and then you go, fuck, ouch. Okay, yep, now I'm aware. And yeah. it's both painful, but also empowering. Because what the ego wants to do is to tell me a story that externalizes all the circumstances of my life so that it's not my fault. Mm. But when I learn that it is my fault, or at least that I have responsibility for it, then I take back the power. Then it's internal locus of control. It's not, oh, Lance is being a dick to me. It's the way I am behaving is allowing for Lance to be a dick to me. Mm. Okay, so I can do something in the situation, even if it's just remove myself from the oh. situation. So that's psychedelics for me are that opportunity to do that inner work. And there's many ways to do it meditation float tanks i mean hard workouts sauna and cold plunge like we just did there's many many paths to god if you will yeah, um, but these are one of the heaviest hammers in the arsenal and for someone with a really healthy ego like me it's good to have that big tool sometimes to mm. break the shell yeah there's so much i resonate with that and stuff i want to go back to and talk about but f there's one thing that you mentioned and i really want to talk about this because people listening you know they've heard me talk about different things meditation the ego plant medicine like all kinds of different stuff and what i think would be really interesting if you could explain the ego because some people are like they hear the term oh you got a big ego or mm. uh, you got to kill your ego and mm -hmm. there's all these like phrases right mm -hmm. and the ego serves us mm. and I would love if you could really talk about that a bit just to give clarity for someone that may need a little bit of guidance as to like what is the ego mm. and how how does it how does it actually work for us and work against us mm. yeah so the the metaphor i really like is to think of the ego as a team of horses that's pulling the carriage the cart of your mind and your body forward so if that team of horses is completely untrained and wild, it's going to be pulling you into the ditch all the time and you're going to have no control over where the cart is going. So that's if you're listening and you're the type of person who tells yourself this week I'm going to work out and then you get to the end of the week and you didn't work out a single time, chances are your ego is in control in one way or another because what it's doing is it's pulling you off course even though your conscious decision was I want to work out this week the ego interferes and goes, we're not doing that. We're going to do these other things. Um, there's a couple key things the ego is seeking. So first and foremost, it's seeking safety and what I would call to perpetuate your current state. So what the ego knows is right now, me and Lance are both alive. We both have food in our belly. Some, not a ton, but some. <laughs> Just enough. Just enough. Um, 
we're both well hydrated. And so the ego knows that. And what it is trying to do is manage our state of aliveness. So currently we're alive. So it doesn't want to change shit. Mm-hmm. It wants everything to stay exactly the same. And if you think about this on a grander scale with your life, if things are going pretty good and you know, you're know you not suffering too much and maybe you have a shitty relationship or shitty friendship, but like you have food on the table, your ego is managing that stability because it's trying to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a beautiful impulse in that, which is your ego is trying to keep you alive. But there's also that impulse that doesn't really apply to most people's modern day life, which is your ego doesn't want you to grow at all because it knows that growth might mean death. Mm. And because it knows that that is a potentiality, it wants to maintain stasis. It wants to keep Mm. us right where we're at. So the ego has these conflicting interests with what you could call the higher self, the part of you that's oriented towards growth and towards expansion and towards becoming the best you. And the ego can be trained over time to point at those things. So going back to the horse metaphor, if those that team of horses learns how to work well together and learns to follow a carrot that you put in front of them, then you're going to get to where you want to go much faster, much more easily. But if those horses are wild and untamed and uncared for, they're going to be pulling you off course all the time. So that's, this is the way I think about the ego is like it's not bad or good. It's trying to keep you alive. Hmm. And because of that, it's doing some good things. Like for example, someone could take a large dose of psychedelics and often something I'll hear is like, yeah, I took, you know, five grams of mushrooms in the woods, which I do not recommend. Do not do that. But a lot of people are like, I wasn't tripping that hard. It's like, well, yeah, your ego stepped in and said, Hey, fuckhead, (laughs) we don't want to fall off a cliff Mm. or get killed by a bear. So you're not going to have a full on experience Mm. and it pulls the experience back. Uh, versus, you know, if you're in like a ceremony and you're cared for and someone's looking out for you, then your ego knows mm. it can soften back a little bit because that safety is covered. Um, so to summarize, that that ego is that impulse that our biology has built up to self-preserve and to carry on the bloodline. And so it's managing all these little stories that it needs to run to do that. And it's why people can find themselves addicted to toxic circumstances sometimes It's the weirdest thing. Like we catch ourselves in that bad relationship over and over again. But what it is, is it's a, it's a sense of something you already know. And so you've quantified it. So even though the relationship is garbage and you're just suffering every day in it, your ego knows that this is what it is. Mm. It's not unknown. And so it wants that safety from that. And the, but the ego is what drives us too, right? So we got to have a healthy respect that like there needs to be a certain amount, right? Like my understanding is, you know, our intuition, we get these ideas, we act on them, but us acting on them is driven by the ego, right? Or Yeah, so in the well-harnessed ego, absolutely. Um, one of the ways the ego can seek safety is through seeking status. So mm-hmm. if I become the most important, let's pick something arbitrary, lawyer, in the world then my ego knows that i am very safe because i have achieved a certain status in society and so Mm -hmm. if you think back to tribal times you know if i have a very good standing with the tribe people will care for me they'll look after me and i will have a high degree of safety so it's another way that ego is managing safety Mm -hmm. um in that case it's aiming at something that maybe isn't the thing you necessarily want like maybe you didn't want to be a lawyer Mm. but it 
knows that that's a safe path. That's the socially acceptable job, high status mm -hmm. job. And so it aims at that. So it can be oriented towards growth. The trick is for most people, their ego's story is heavily co-opted by society's story. So it's why so many people find themselves being a lawyer, a doctor, whatever it may be, whatever insert job title here when they didn't really want to be. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you're extraordinarily productive. You worked extremely hard and your accomplishments are very impressive in aiming at those things. However, was that what you wanted? Mm. Your ego is just a, it's a team of horses. Like it took you there. Mm. You just don't know why it took you there. <laughs> Yeah, so then if somebody was to go and do a deep ceremony, they have like a real realization, like a smack in the face when they do have like an ego death, right? Which really means you're like, what does that even mean for somebody that's new to this too, like ego death? Mm. And yeah, if somebody, let's say this really successful driven person, mm. they're, they've had a lot of success, but like a lot of that success and that drive comes from a lot of trauma too. Mm. That shadow mm -hmm. side is driving that. And let's say they get, they get that deep journey, and then they show them all that stuff. Like, mm -hmm. what is actually, what is actually happening? Like, like what is what is going on in that yeah. situation? I love this because this is something I've been talking about a lot lately. So first, on the topic of ego death, an ego death is really, it's the death of managing all of your circumstances and the birth of truly tapping into your intuition, your higher self, or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. of. If there was no fear, if there was no risk, what is it I'd really want to be doing? And so sometimes that manifests as, ooh, I wouldn't be in this relationship, or ooh, I wouldn't be doing this job, but there's all these fears that are holding me back, but those are the ego's fears. They're not the true me's fears. So that sense of ego death, it's not that we dishonor the ego when we have that experience, it's just we take a second to step back from it so we can look at things as they are, and then we can reorient the ego towards the goal that us as the higher level manager actually wants to orient towards. Mm. Now, in the sort of achievement accomplishment culture, there's something what I call like shadow fuel. So this is the idea that you can aim your human vehicle towards a goal that is informed by trauma or informed by fear or informed by a circumstance growing up. And you can even accomplish that goal. But if the fuel you're burning to get there is fear, anger, hatred, that sort of like, fuck you, I'll show you energy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets you places. In fact, often it will get you to the place you're looking to go. Um, but that fuel kind of builds up gunk in your machinery. It's like it has a lot of additives in it. <laughs> and over time, it slows you down. And so you get to a certain point, sometimes people have to burn five years of shadow fuel to like get the status, they get the job, and they're yeah. like, fuck yeah, I did it, I finished school. And then they have this awakening moment where like, oh no. What, what really matters? This wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> oh shit. And so what's important is not that we like sometimes burning shadow fuels the thing like if that's what's yeah. available to you burn it but be aware that eventually you'll have to make the shift to like the higher self fuel or the light fuel. the sustainable exactly. energy exactly which is the intuition essentially right. wow yeah wow i just got that this some clarity with that and it's so true because yeah you see a lot of people that 
have gone through a lot of shit in their life, really traumatizing, yet they're able to channel that into success. But then is that success what they really want or are they just trying to like compensate for like the lack of that they went through or whatever? And it's really interesting because we see this in the world of, you know, business and entrepreneurs and success and this drive. And I've, I've wondered myself, man, I'm like, what is driving me? <laughs> right. Why do I give a fuck? <laughs> Shit. Why do I care whether, you know, you know, like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And I've been asking myself, like, you know, that, that balance of, is this true from my heart or am I doing this out of fear, you know, Mm -hmm. love or fear. And I think just observing the world and the leaders and the people we look up to, it's like a lot of that is fueled by trauma, man. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, if you were to like take them and put them in an ayahuasca ceremony or a mushroom ceremony Mm -hmm. and, and really like humble them, a lot of shit would surface and a lot of things would change. And what really matters moving forward, like what, really does matter you know and i think like that's that's a real concern right now what's going on with people it's like what's what fuel are you burning yeah no doubt and i I think a really good way to think about it because people often have this concern when they come into a big plant medicine journey like well is it going to change completely who i am as a person am i going to quit my job and it's like maybe (laughs) but You know, Carl Jung had this idea of the golden shadow Mm. and the golden shadow is that your greatest gift to the world is from the thing that caused you the most pain when you were young. It's got goosebumps, bro. Yeah. It's such a beautiful concept. And so you take, you know, cops are a hot topic these days. Mm. You take the example of a cop Well, you can have a bad cop who, because he was traumatized as a kid, let's say he was bullied. So now he has become the bully Mm. and he's burning shadow fuel, you know, fuck these people. I'm going to get them back. Mm. they deserve this because they're bad Mm. or you know take the same person with the same trauma of being bullied but perhaps they've actually done the shadow work the investigation into them being bullied and now they have this deep empathy this deep gift of like oh fuck people are just hurting and i want to make sure they feel seen so they don't feel like i Mm. felt when i was younger And in that way, the shadow is alchemized into the golden shadow, because then in that case, that's the cop I want at me at all times. Like the person who's going to show up and go, hey, man, what's going on here? Are you okay? Is everything all right? I could see you're really struggling versus the one who's like, hey, fucker, get your hands on the ground. Yeah. And so that that concept of the golden shadow is really important because it can be as you have a awakening that you actually keep doing the same thing you're doing it's just with new eyes it's for mm. a different reason than it previously was mm. yeah your perspective i've talked about shadow work a lot um and you know i had a real deep realization in my ayahuasca journey about my own spiritual bypassing and you know the importance of to really feel what real self love is you have to fully embrace all of it, mm-hmm. right? Or we're denying self. Mm-hmm. That ugly shit that we went through is all just as important. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about shadow work because you're somebody that can definitely explain it to the audience better than I can, but mm-hmm. it's something that I'm still learning about and that I find to be so valuable at, at dealing with and accepting who you are, mm-hmm. right? Really loving that stuff. Yeah. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. 
So shadow work is heavily intertwined with the concept of the ego. And I'll, I'll jump onto my soapbox really quick and then jump right back off of it. One of the biggest mistakes I see being made in the spiritual community and within myself, I see this mistake too, is the mistake of because we have the languaging that we skip steps. So by that, I mean, I see a lot of people like something terrible happens to them. Let's say they crashed their car and immediately they jump into, well, this happened for me, which cool. But did you feel the emotions? Did you feel the fucking frustration, the anger, the sadness, the unfairness fully? Or did you just jump ahead into, well, no, this happened for me because I am very enlightened. And in that way, the ego slips back in and goes, here's a good story that makes me powerful. The ego wants to be powerful. So jumping back off my soapbox, um, shadow work, the first step is accepting the truth of what's present for you. And that can be really painful. I've had this recently where like the truth of what's present for me as someone who's done a lot of internal work. So it only becomes harder to accept. Mm -hmm. I think the more work you've done because you think you should be better than that. Yeah. The truth that I've had to accept is like, Oh, here's shitty little ways in which I am insecure, needy, not considerate of others, selfish, angry and i've had to look at it but if i'm in denial of it if i'm unwilling to feel those emotions and actually look at them they're not going to get processed they'll just keep coming up the emotions are just the indicators for what's actually happening underneath the surface in my consciousness so when i'm getting these signals of insecurity it's an invitation to feel it first and then to look deeper and that's the meaning of shadow work it's like that feeling something's behind you. You're like, fuck, something's behind me. <clears throat> Willing to look around and, or to turn around and look at it and then begin to investigate. Like, okay, fuck, I'm feeling insecure right now. Where does this come from? What about this circumstance is making me feel insecure specifically? If I'm doing the spiritual bypassing thing, I'm telling myself I'm not insecure. I'm like, no, I'm not insecure. I'm just, uh, just setting boundaries <laughs> or I'm just, mm. uh, I'm feeling something. Well, it's all light and love. <laughs> and in that way, you skip over where the real opportunity is. Mm. Yeah, that's great. But here's my question as well. Mm. Where's the fine line between becoming that? I mean, we want to feel it, yet we don't want to stay there. How do we know how long we've because you can get into that you can feel it and then you can become that i'm depressed right like we've i think we you know people become instead of i'm feeling they become that thing mm. and then the difference of being able to feel it and then move on mm. is so key yeah. so how does one feel that i've i'm processing this now it's time to move on versus i am this and i'm just going to keep living this I've got a super hot take on this one. Mm -hmm. Actually, don't think you can dwell in any of these emotions if you feel them fully. I think the mm -hmm. moment that you feel them fully, they move through you. Mm -hmm. So I like anger as an example. If you're angry and you admit to yourself, I am so 
fucking angry right now. God fucking damn it. Excuse the language. It's all right. Swear, man. Mm -hmm. And you really go fully into that. Like, this is fucking bullshit. How is the universe doing this to me? You hear yourself. I don't think you can actually stay there. Mm. It's the resistance to to feeling it. it. That causes it Mm. to come back. Oh, Mm. dude, that's so true. The resistance of fully feeling it makes it just come back over and over again. Because if it's a signal, like we were talking about earlier, it's going to keep signaling you Mm. until you actually look at the signal. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, and you fully feel it however you need to do that. Mm. Yeah. So kind of like I want to kind of ask you kind of like sort of the same thing but a little bit different. Say we are we're noticing like we talked about earlier like with some similarities with with you know past stuff with relationships mm-hmm. and my question is like how do we know when we're healed mm-hmm. you know air quotes ready for that person or is it time to give yourself more space from jumping into a relationship or with somebody Mm. because from my experience you know i i tell the story i'm doing this like i'm healing i'm not ready Mm. but then i wonder is that a story or am i ready is am i ever going to be healed enough to Mm. have somebody you know that's kind of where i'm at and also like if we do feel these triggers this like little boy scared abandonment stuff that comes up. Do we need to sit with that and really get to the bottom of that first? Or do we say, look, I'm feeling so I want to take a chance. Like, where do you sit with all that? And like, how does somebody know whether they're healed enough to jump into something? Mm. I think unless you're Ram Dass or the Buddha, Mm. you need sharpening stones in your life Mm. and just the idea of being triggered is the idea that you have had a trigger and so if you are not engaging in relationships how would you ever have the trigger to investigate this in the first place it's that idea that you could be sitting at home meditating like a monk every day and be just so zen but that's fucking easy yeah because there's no stimulus you're not interacting and then the first day you go out in your car and drive on the freeway and someone cuts you off and you're like fuck you Mm -hmm. so that's exactly mm. and we think we're all enlightened Mm. and then the littlest thing your mom gets upset what are you doing that stuff for and you turn into a fucking freak out (laughs) fuck off like i've always hated you and i always will like (laughs) and you're like whoa i got some shit to deal with there it is but that's, that's like, that's so real. Mm. That's almost like the humbleness of doing the work too, that like, we don't have it all fi- fucking figured out. 
but it shows you when you yeah it's easy to like be alone and do mm. all the things and do all the work but like that's we got to live life too mm. and if we can't control ourselves if we can't if we get triggered by every single person mm. of the opposite sex and we just like it's easier to pull away like mm-hmm. for me it's easier i just push it away i'm like yep. i'm out i'm just i'm good mm-hmm. but that what is that teaching that's just yeah yeah now the key i think because look we we want to be good people we want to interact with people in a positive way. So the key here is being willing to be vulnerable about what you're feeling. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but that identification within self, like, oh, I'm feeling insecure right now and calling it out and speaking it because then your partner or the prospect, the person you're dating is not feeling this shittiness pouring off of you and they have no idea why it is. So that's where you have to be in integrity to choose that. Like, hey, ooh, I'm feeling some insecurity come up. I'm going to speak this with love as much as I can, but maybe it won't be perfect at first. Like, hey, give me some room to stumble through this. I'm practicing. (laughs) I'm learning. But I'm going to speak this because in speaking it, then at least they can A, opt in or out because then they have agency over what's coming up for me. Like what comes up for me might be too much for my partner. That's okay. By speaking it, I give them the opportunity to opt out. By not speaking it, as I've done in the past, and we've all done in the past, you do them this huge disservice where then six months later, finally, you've both reached a boiling point. You're like, fuck this. It's all over. So it's like, speak it. Speak the truth of it. And in speaking the truth of it, you're giving them the opportunity to choose yes or no. Are they willing to still stay engaged? So that's the way to minimize the damage done by your triggers and to really be working through them and simultaneously getting to actually speak out like what's happening for you internally. Now, second caveat, your relationship, specifically your romantic relationship, cannot and was never intended to contain every single emotion you're feeling. So most men, especially because we're usually pretty bad at opening up emotionally, to other men will think that their woman, if they're in a straight relationship, is the sole receptacle for everything they're feeling because it's the only place they feel safe to express their emotions. That was never intended to be the case. <laughs> it's not the way most women work. They tell their friends what they're feeling and they talk about it. So mm. a key piece of it as well is be having other resources, other people you want to lean on. Maybe you have a men's circle. Maybe you have other people you talk to um, that you can share with so that you're not dumping every little thing you're feeling. Because like, if you're feeling something right now and your partner's over there in the room, let's say, and you immediately feel it and you tell her, hey, I think it's kind of bullshit how you're doing this, this, and this. Well, now it's an argument. You haven't actually processed anything. You haven't gotten a chance to talk your way through it, nor will you truly be able to. Mm. And especially if you don't have clarity yet. So, But if you spoke it to me and said, I think it's kind of fucking bullshit how she did this. And then I'll go, okay, that's really interesting. Mm. What do you think she's feeling? Mm. And go, well, maybe this. It's like, okay, cool. And then from there, you've identified, okay, it's actually, this is the insecurity I'm feeling. Okay, let me go tell her what is coming up for me. So having those other resources to lean on to is very, very important. Yeah. It is 
having other people that you like men's circle and other people that you can talk to about that is takes a lot of the pressure off the person you're with too right and you know I always wonder too when, when you meet somebody I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts like when you get a feeling of you know, certain things, sometimes people give you butterflies. Sometimes people, mm -hmm. you'll get a red flag. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're, like, super comfortable. I always wonder, what what is true about that? Mm. What do we listen to? Mm. You know? Because is that is that trigger just like, oh, you need to lean into that and learn mm. because this person can teach you? For sure. Or is it like, oh, wait a minute, red flag, let's, Real red let's flag. go. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, oh, they make me feel good and comfortable. Or there's like that butterfly nervousness, but is that good? Mm -hmm. You know, I've always wondered because yeah. depending on our state of mind, where we're at in our life, different things will surface. Mm -hmm. So how does somebody, how does somebody listen to that? Like, how do you know? And I mean, I don't know if you have the answer for this, but it's just come up to it. And I'm, you know, just really curious as to like how you navigate that, yeah. what your thoughts are. So let's, we'll go up five levels for a concept and then come back down to the specific. So the concept to understand is that your intuition is a trainable skill and most people's intuition is about as sharp as a butter knife. So your intuition gains sharpness as you engage with it and use it over time and learn to identify what's ego and what's intuition. And that process is you honing your sword, you honing your edge of being able to discern like you're talking about. Now back down to the specific, the questions I would be asking in those circumstances and I have asked is, what's my relationship pattern? If I look at my last five relationships, four relationships, one relationship, what has been my pattern? What type of women have I saw? What emotions have I been seeking in those relationships? What are the ways they've shown up? What are the ways I've shown up? And then with the person who's in front of me, who's causing whatever emotional reaction, is that different or the same as the pattern? Especially if you know the pattern's one you wanna step out of. There's a lot of people who be like, I'll, I only ever find toxic people. <laughs> It's like, well, you're fucking sending out a bat signal for those fuckers. Like, yeah. you're doing something to filter them in. Yeah. And so that question of like, is this person in front of me different from my normal pattern? Or are they the same as my normal pattern? And is that something I want? Do I want more of the same? Or am I looking for some new arena in which to experience myself? Mm. Yeah, and... Does the situation have to be perfect? Like sometimes we're like, it has to be I, this ideal. They need to have all the things. Mm -hmm. If it's not, it's not there, then we don't move forward. But then at the same time, you do want to honor the non-negotiables that are important to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's there's some situations it makes it difficult because mm -hmm. are you just pushing things away because you're scared, mm -hmm. or are you you know, is it realistic to think that you can get exactly what you want mm. or, you know, like it's, you know, do they have to be 
speak the lingo or do they have to be doing the thing if you know that's what i find so interesting about the journey of life is like mm-hmm. figuring that out and like there may be multiple answers there may be multiple people that you could choose and what i find hilarious is you know why do you and by you i mean anyone mm-hmm. and myself have any confidence that we know what we want because how many times have i not known what i wanted (laughs) and it's all based on our past 100 we're only are it's just stories Mm -hmm. oh i want this because of that or somebody told me or somebody influenced Mm -hmm. me in Mm -hmm. a certain way and like that's now my Mm -hmm. how do we even know unless we feel it right so that's where that post-game analysis of previous relationships comes in Mm which is okay i've experienced this this and this and you're right you know have your non-negotiable list now if your non-negotiable list is a hundred items that's a you problem (laughs) that's not you can't find the right partner because you're look you know it's Mm. that's a you problem maybe you have five items on your non-negotiable list maybe you have four items whatever it is um but then you're giving yourself the chance to continue to discover what it is you are actually looking for all that's required for that discovery process is that you don't keep choosing the same partner over and over again in different bodies. Yeah. How many people actually dissect that? None. Like I'm thinking about in my life and the journal practices and you do journaling not as much these days. I do a lot of gratitude journaling because it helps me a lot. But like how often do we reflect on our relationships? Like what worked, what didn't like why, what, draw what drew me to this person what can i learn Mm -hmm. why do i why did i want why am i attracted to that person Mm -hmm. we dated why didn't that work out Mm -hmm. like why am i trying to push this onto somebody Mm -hmm. that may not be ready like there's so many things that we need to take in account before even knowing what we want because we don't have a fucking clue but we have this thing in our brain even i'm seeing it i'm like i don't even know i think i know what i want Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you experience something, you realize you're like, oh shit, that's not even, and what I was kind of talking about as well, like dissolving that, and until you feel it, you don't really know. Yeah. And it it changes. And I just think that's so important for somebody to really take that time Hmm. and reflect. I've got some solid journal prompts for this that I'll just lay out really quickly and people can pause and write them down. Uh, the first journal prompt is, what did my parents' relationship look like? And you just take some time with that. And then the second question from that is, of the gender which I am attracted to, so I'm a man, so I'm analyzing my mom, what are the qualities that my mom has? And what are the qualities that she has in the relationship specifically between her and my dad? because the primary patterning we receive is from our parents. And so our primary relationship patterning is often, you know, for me as a man being interested in women, I'm, I was for a long time looking for someone who was very similar to my mom. And I realized at one point, oh fuck, I'm summoning my mom, <laughs> essentially. And it's very like Freudian fucking concept there, but people do it. Mm. So that's the first piece, you have to analyze that. Second, what was the best relationship you saw growing up? Like, what was the most healthy, healed relationship you saw? Bro. Because for a lot of us, 
Maybe there are none. Maybe you didn't see a single healthy relationship. So the first piece of work there is you need to seek out or get to witness some healthy relationships that you even believe it's possible at a psyche level. Because good luck trying to make your relationship work when your subconscious programming is relationships don't work. That's piece number two. Piece number three is the post-game analysis of your previous relationships. So take your previous partner, take your previous two partners. What were 10 things that worked? And what were 10 things that didn't work? And then analyze, like, what was the critical thing that caused the relationship to fall apart? And what pieces did I play into that? And what pieces did they play into that? And taking that time to do that post-game analysis on the relationships. And then you have a generative list of, okay, well, here's the ways in which I'm fucking seeking mommy. So that's not great. Let's avoid that. You know, it doesn't mean your mom doesn't have some qualities that you're probably looking for in a partner. Because maybe you have a wonderful mom. <laughs> Who knows? But... You don't want to be seeking that unconsciously. And then number two is like that relationship pattern of what was the best relationship I witnessed growing up. And also along with that is like, am I trying to fix, this was my own realization. I realized I was trying to fix my mom and dad's relationship by seeking a partner who was like my mom so I could love them better. Wow. And like when I realized that, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm trying to somehow fix some of the sadness that they have through my own life story. And I kept picking partners that were that same archetype. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find. I find myself doing things that my dad did, mm -hmm. you know. I love him. He meant well, but there's just a lot of like stuff, you know, even in his childhood and, and just the way he was and mm. just a lot of trauma. He couldn't process his feelings and just, just to see, you know, that the fear behind his message. Now that I understand a little bit more and just now, sometimes I really see that coming to life in my own life. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I love you, dad, but I don't want to do that shit. I don't want to be mm. in that position. Like, it makes me like, I all of a sudden feel like, because I feel like he's with me, but I feel like it's like, oh, okay, stop. That's, that is not the way I want to show up. And, but it's ingrained in us so deep, especially generations of like the same thing. You know, and I've really taken pride in myself to really change that, that fucking, mm. That, that lineage, like, I'm like, it's not going on like this anymore. You know, it's not going on like this because, you know, even seeing my dad pass away, he couldn't process his own emotions, which mm -hmm. led to cancer, you know? And I believe that. And death and, and not being able to process that. But his, in his reaction and how he would react to things, I notice in myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, fuck. And then that pushes people away. Mm. So I have trouble sometimes because my temper is bad and it can, I, I could just blow. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's just like, that doesn't make somebody feel safe, mm. right? Like that doesn't make somebody, and like being aware of that, we are tied to our parents in that way. It's so interesting because even though we don't, we're not our parents, mm. Like we are our parents, 
like in a way the fucked up part is and like this was giving me chills as i was thinking it is like we all see our parents as the fully grown tree we didn't see them as the sapling before they were that tree and so a realization i had in my most recent relationship was i looked down the road because i was you know i didn't want to be like my parents were i wanted to avoid that at all costs and so the relationship i had entered into which was beautiful and she's a wonderful person but i was seeing i was like oh if if i stayed here for 20 years my resentment would slowly build and some of the anger i saw out of my dad would eventually blossom and some of the shittiness I saw of my parents towards each other still see sometimes would have slowly come into focus for me. And I would have become that. But in any given moment, it's like, no, I'm not acting like my dad. Yeah. But that's because I only see the tree. I don't see the whole fucking process of him being the sapling that grew into the tree and how I might be engaged in that process right now. <sighs> Yeah. I'm so grateful just for awareness. Mm. You know, just to be aware of that mm. itself. You know, because so many people will live life and not even be aware that that is even happening or mm. whatever. Until they get there. How did I get here? It's fucking crazy, man. The fact that we're aware, and I write this in my journal, I'm like, thank you so much mm. for giving me the opportunity to fucking know mm. what feels right and what doesn't and to be aware of the situation. Mm. Because that's the first step. If mm. you aren't aware, you can't do shit. Absolutely. It's so, so important because our our awareness has to precede any action that takes us to where we actually want to go. Because if we're not actually aware we end up off track. We take mm. actions from that spot of ego that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Oh, it's funny. I wasn't even planning. I didn't even know this. <laughs> this is why this is great. Cause like, wasn't even thinking we were going to go, go there. Direction. And that's why it's, I love the in person too. Cause it's yeah. just so much better. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we're, you're obviously very called to, medicine and facilitating and just being that person that to lead in this this area and i guess i want to really hear about your story and i i want to share this with with everybody and just see how this all kind of happened mm. so what led you to go to ecuador like how mm. did that Walk us through, like, from, I don't know, wherever you want to start, because, like, mm -hmm. obviously there's, like, some point there where, did you, yeah, maybe from a ceremony. Walk us through how that was birthed, yeah. how that, and, and what was the breadcrumbs, and, and walk us through that journey. Yeah. This is a story that's going to end up involving some tears. I can already feel it. Boom. So that's okay. So it started in Sedona for the Fit for Service Summit of 2020 right and we did this practice called the soul wander led by beautiful beautiful human tim corcoran such a great process man that oh so so briefly it's just the process of going out into nature it's not a hike 
Tim always says that. Yeah. It cracks me up. It's not a hike. You're not going anywhere. You're just going to listen to nature. <clears throat> and you're just listening to each thing as it presents itself in front of you as if they were breadcrumbs and just following. There's no goal. You're not trying to do something. You're just being. Mm. So that practice, uh, you know, to incredibly summarize it for me, basically six animals in a row led me to this grave on the side of the mountain in Sedona. And, and this grave had a red rose and a white rose on it, laid on it fresh. And I'm looking at this and I'm just like, a lightning bolt hit me. Like, what the fuck is this? I see this grave, I'm just in reverence and I, you know, I gave it an offering of some essential oil I had with me. It's a really important part of the process that you're not seeking to like take anything from nature. You're only giving like, what can I give? Okay. Here's some water. This tree looks under, you know, it looks dry and I don't need all my water I have with me. Let me offer some water to this tree. Oh, a rabbit jumped out from behind the tree and led me to my next destination. What the fuck? So it takes me to this grave. I give the grave an offering. I go up above the grave and there's this cave and it's like a womb. And I sit in this cave, this womb cave, and just like receive an ikaro that I've used many times now in ceremony. This is on Bear Mountain in Sedona. And I come out of this birthing cave. I go around the side of Bear Mountain and I come to this wall and it's 30 feet of Native American petroglyphs just on the whole wall. And I'm just like, what? Whoa. And I had this pre-rolled tobacco with me. You are no medicine right now. No medicine. Okay. Dead sober. <clears throat> this is one of the most psychedelic experiences I've ever had in my life with no psychedelics involved. I come to this wall and I'm just like, and I had, you know, earlier in the soul wander, I'd offered some of my tobacco to one other person who I'd seen. And then I had one left. And I was like, I feel like this one tobacco is for something, but I don't know what it's for. So I'll just keep it until the time comes. And it came to this wall and I'm like, oh, it's for this. Like, let me light this, use the smoke as sort of an offering to these people that came before that stewarded the land that were there. This was like a beautiful hunting spot. It's quite elevated. So you can see out over the whole valley and you could see everything. And so I gave the tobacco as an offering. I just felt this like deep connection. And one thing Tim talks about is like to always ask nature, always ask. Like, can I do this? Can I have this stone? Can I pick up this rock? Um, so I asked the wall, which sounds silly, but like, this is the process. I asked the wall, like, can I take a picture of you to remember this? And it was like, yes, like clear as day. I felt like someone was next to me talking. He's like, yes, but you have to go in the cave that's below me. I'm like, okay, got it. So I go take the picture. And I go down below the petroglyphs and there's a cave. Sure enough. And this cave looks like it goes 30 or 40 feet deep. It's super fucking dark. There's bears, mountain lions, all sorts of stuff in this area. And I'm looking at this cave like, if I was a bear, this is a fucking prime location to have my den. But I already took the picture. <laughs> so I'm going in. I get into this cave and like, I shit you not like the the ceiling of the cave i thought it was soot at first like a fire had been in there and it wasn't soot it was just the texture of this rock is black and it had these little sparkles in it. it looked like the fucking night sky inside this cave i go in further and i'm going real slow just because i'm just like 
if there is something in here, I don't want to wake it up. And right in the middle of the cave is a spear point. And it is this just like it had been there. And I asked, you know, can I take this with me? And I was like, yeah, it's here for you. Wow. And I'm just like, holy shit. So I wander back to Aubrey's ranch, um, finish the soul wander. And on the van ride home, I'm telling my now partner, Maria, the story of my soul wander. You know, I tell her all the parts of it. And we're just like, I dropped her off at her place. She was staying. I drove back to my place. And I get back to my place. And I open my phone. And she's texted me a picture of the grave with the red rose and the white rose on it. I'm like, how did you get a picture of that? Because I didn't take a picture of it. It felt like maybe disrespectful or something. I just didn't think of it in the moment. She goes, well, one of the people I'm staying with, our, our brother Dominic, he, we had done a despacho ceremony the night before, and his offering for the despacho ceremony was a white rose and a red rose. Dude, I got some goosebumps oh, right now. God, it goes so deep here. So then I'm just like, holy shit, what the hell? And he had been in the earlier group. So they had gone their soul wander before my group went on its soul wander. That was the one I was on. Yeah. So I'm just like, wow, that's so fucking cool just the intentionality behind that so then the next day at Aubrey's ranch I find Dominic and I'm like man that's so crazy I came across your roses on the grave or whatever it was and he's like yeah man that's fucking wild and I was like wow just kind of like basking in it and this is not like we had spoken maybe once ever before this he's like dude I like I wasn't gonna tell you this but I have something to tell you and I'm like okay like what is it like, you had some special connection with those roses. I just think he's going to tell me some, like, normal shit. He's like, no. A week and a half ago, I had a dream that you need to go to Ecuador to meet my medicine woman who stays down there. And I've got this trip coming up, and I really think you should reach out to her and talk to her. Mm, wow. And so just, I mean, I felt like a lightning bolt hit me. Like, the pure happenstance. Like, where this grave was on the side of the mountain, it's not on a path. Nobody else saw this, essentially, except for me and him. And the fact that a week and a half before he had had a fucking dream. Holy fuck. That I needed to go. And he wasn't, you know, he probably wasn't going to tell me because we weren't super close. Like, it wasn't like we were super buddy-buddy, and so it made sense that he was dreaming about me and whatever. It's like this happened like this. So I wonder if he would have told you that if he didn't do that. probably not I, in his position i probably wouldn't have it'd be like if i have a dream about a person i met once and then i see them and i go hey man i had a dream about you like i'd feel weird about doing that so that was the calling to go to ecuador <laughs> that was like holy fuck the unignorable and like like i said earlier i have a healthy ego so sometimes i need the universe to give me a fucking sledgehammer to break something into my skull of like here's your next thing to go do you cannot ignore this. So that was the thing. So we start planning the trip to Ecuador. I'm talking to Dominic. I'm talking to the medicine woman. Jimena is her name. Um, you know, getting everything all set up, raising the funds to go. I definitely wasn't financially like in a spot to go, and you helped support that journey. Thank you so much. Man, for as that. soon as that came up, I was like, hell yeah, man. Because like, 
you know, just to pause that for a sec, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but like, I just, that got me so excited for you mm-hmm. because like, I, I could probably speak for a lot of people, mm-hmm. like any opportunity to see you grow in that area, everybody would go, yeah, fuck yeah, bro, do mm-hmm. it, do it. And that's why for me, I was like, man, that'd be a shitty reason to not go if you mm-hmm. can't, you know, financially at that point in time. But uh, yeah, no, I was super excited for you, man. Yeah. And I deeply appreciate that. And it's one of the things I felt so just blown away by in that whole process was just the level of support that I felt. And people were just like, I want to make sure you can go do this. You were blown away, dude. You support people so much, man. You, you give people mm-hmm. so much love and support all the time. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to like understand why that would be, you know, because it's a reciprocal thing. You give mm-hmm. people want to give you that as well. And hmm. if you were to have said, I got to raise this, I'm a little worried. I'm like, dude, people, you got it. Like, yeah. there's no doubt. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt. And you did it. Yeah. Which is just so beautiful. And like, you know, sometimes I need to hear that and remind myself of it. Because again, we all get caught in our story, no matter what work we're doing. And so you can feel like you're just pouring out and sometimes it's good to really just receive that pouring in like it did in that circumstance. So the funds make it all work, get it planned, get it on the calendar. And then, you know, I'll, I'll shorten some parts of the story and get to the like really good parts in Ecuador. But you know, time passes. We have the Miami meetup here in Miami for fit for service. I come and we're, we're recording this here in Maria and I's house which is where the Miami meetup was. And the Miami meetup was super last minute for me, like a week before I was like, fuck, I can actually go. I'm available. So I put out word like, Hey, can anyone have like a couch I can crash on? And Maria was like, you can crash on my couch. I'm like, Oh fuck. That's amazing. Cause that's where the meetup is. So like I get to be at the place. Awesome. And so I felt super blessed came here. Um, we hit it off. We had a Chonga ceremony. Um, which is its own beautiful medicine. It's essentially smokable ayahuasca. Um, A very, very short DMT experience, um, but it has a lot of the texture and lovingness that ayahuasca has. And we had this experience, and we were sitting next to each other after the experience, and we just kind of, like, looked at each other. And she asked me, like, what are you feeling right now? And I I didn't want to share, because it was like, we essentially just met. (laughs) And I didn't want to be like, uh, I'm feeling like this is home. (laughs) So whatever I said, like, I don't know, (laughs) or like, this just feels really good. Um, But then, you know, that evening we had a beautiful interaction and stayed together in her bed. And, you know, in the morning I was going off to facilitate ceremony out in, uh, out in, uh, what's it called? It's another city here in Florida. I'm forgetting. Whatever. doesn't matter. Another city in Florida. It's like three hours away. Um, And... You know, that's sort of it. And in the time, I was in an open relationship with my previous partner. And so this was nothing, like, ethically incorrect on my part. But it was the first time that I sort of felt like, hmm, that was something. That wasn't nothing. Like, a lot of times before that, it had just been, like, purely sexual, fun, enjoyable experience. But that time, I was like, hmm, there's something there. I just felt something. So we circled back, and I talked to Maria, like, a, a week later on the phone, and it's like, hey, I'm feeling some stuff come up. <laughs> She's sort of like, oh, okay. No, it's not just you. <laughs> feeling some stuff too. And, you know, as we're planning the Ecuador trip, 
I thought I was just going with Dominic. Turns out Maria was going too. And I find this out after the Miami meetup. And I'm like, wait, you're going to Ecuador too? Whoa. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Okay. So we're planning. And then it gets time to go to Ecuador. And, you know, what we wanted to do is me and Dominic were like, let's fly down to Miami like three days early. And then we'll fly from Miami to Ecuador. Um, It's a real short flight for me. It's like three hours. So like, this will be a beautiful way for us to like pattern interrupt ourselves and come back into like sort of just normal, like refreshed mind state before we go into this big psychedelic retreat. Um, And last minute Dominic couldn't make it three days early. He's like, fuck, I got it. Like some stuff came up. I just got to fly into Miami the day that we're flying to Ecuador and then we'll fly from Miami to Ecuador together. I'm like, okay. And I asked Maria, I'm like, is it cool if I still come three days early? (laughs) She's like, of course. Great, sounds good. I get here, and of course we hit it off, and we're still feeling like, okay, there's something here. We go down to Ecuador, and I mean, it's such a beautiful place, and this retreat center, Casa del Sol, I can't recommend highly enough. Um, It's nestled away in this town called San Pedro de Vilcabamba. I just love the sound of that. It's named after the two psychedelic compounds that grow there. San Pedro, a.k.a. Wachuma, and Vilcabamba is Vilca, as in the Vilca tree, which is the Yopo medicine, Mm. as it's known. And so this little town up at, you know, 5,500, 6,000 feet elevation, but like jungle. I've never seen anything like it. Like you expect jungle at you know, zero elevation, but this is like jungle in the mountains, Mm. 85, sunny, like beautiful. So we get there and we have these journeys. Um, so the first night was this Temis call, a traditional sweat lodge experience. And we get in and like, I do well with the heat. We, We were in the sauna earlier today. Like I love being in the heat. It's fucking wonderful. So I had a whole story for myself. Like, yeah, Temis call, fuck yeah. And I'd done one before. Yeah. So even I'm like, I'm a badass at this. Like it's this is no right. problem. Yeah, exactly. And uh we get into the sweat lodge. It's four rounds long in this tradition. It's a mind fuck. I make it two rounds. Hmm. I get to the end of that second round and my mind just fucking quits. Hmm. My body was probably okay. My mind was like, Nope. We're done. What was the sequence? Like, what was... So you went in. Explain. Mm-hmm. It, just give a little bit of, like, paint a picture, a little mm-hmm. bit of what this one, and what, what it feels like, what it looks like, all of that. Yeah. So it's a very low, covered dome. Like an igloo kind of. Right? Yeah, like an igloo, but maybe a little bit wider and a little bit shorter. Mm. And everyone sits around the perimeter of it towards the edge. And each person, um, you know, you're right next to each other. Like there's not extra space. So that's a part of the experience too, is like, you do not have personal space whatsoever. You're not like in a sauna, you know, you're kind of lounging, you're relaxed, you got space. Um, you gotta kind of lean over, you gotta cross your legs. It's not comfortable. No. And they bring in these hot stones that are cooked in the fire 
and each stone they bring in just increases the heat in the room and then they they use these uh different things to throw water on the stones that causes the steam to come into the room and you close the door and it's pitch black like you can't see anything and they're throwing water on the stones and and then the wave of steam hits you and you're oh geez and like if you've been in a sauna you know those get hot but this is like 230 yeah like it's so much hotter than a sauna that most people have experienced at least so each round depending on the tradition it's usually either four or seven rounds each round they bring in more stones Mm -hmm. to continue to heat it up and each round essentially gets progressively more and more difficult Mm -hmm. as time goes on so we get through the first round i'm feeling pretty good like yeah cool did they give you a break to go outside or just stay in no the traditional way you're not supposed to go out at all did they open up the thing at all just to bring the stones in <laughs> did you sit near the? Yeah. I'm trying to get a picture. Mm-hmm. So, did, did you sit near the door? Or did you, oh, you're in the. Yeah. So, you're, so for all of you guys listening, like this is like if you have claustrophobia or you're like you don't like the dark and you mm-hmm. like, like these are like all of these things mm-hmm. that you must face, and that's why it's not just the heat, but it's a lot of the discomforts mm-hmm. of your own shit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's the idea of the womb. Like it's a rebirth experience. You're going to this dark, mm. warm cave out of which you emerge renewed. Yeah. Rebirthed. Um, which is why it's beautiful they do at the beginning of the retreat with all the different medicines we're doing so that you really get a chance to like reset and rebirth. Now, we get to the end of the first round. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, yeah, we're doing this. Sweat lodge. Fuck yeah. And then second round starts. And like halfway through the second round, I'm like, Oh no. Uh oh. <laughs> this isn't good. What was coming up for you? I just. My mind, like, I don't know how to explain it other than my mind is just like, we need to get out, 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 we need to get out. And, like, I was trying every tool I had in my mental arsenal, like, okay, we're going to slow the breath, we're going to change my position. Like, I was like, okay, let me lay down a little more, maybe I can escape the heat a little bit. Nothing was working. And so I'm just there and I'm like, fuck. It gets to the end of the second round. I'm like, I have to get out. And so it's not like you're not allowed to get out. You are. It's just not encouraged. So I get out. You got out. Now, as I get out, because I'm at essentially the back of the circle away from the door, I have to crawl in front of every person on the other half of the circle to make my way around to the door one of those people is maria (laughs) so here i am quitting oh by the way i'm the first person to quit of everybody in there all 15 or 16 people i'm the first person to quit so here i am crawling past this woman i find incredibly attractive quitting not because my body, like I was about to faint, but because my mind quit. I go and I lay outside in the dirt. I'm laying outside in the dirt, just crying, just gently crying, just like, fuck. <sighs> what the hell? What is this teaching me? She probably hates me. There's no way she's attracted to me anymore. Like, <laughs> after that, no way. Just laying there. You know, the third round passes, and I kind of pick myself up up the dirt, and I'm like, am I at least going to go back in? You're allowed to go back in. I'm like, am I at least going to finish this with them? 
just I can get back in for that last round and we can finish this together even if I couldn't make it the whole time. So I go back in for the fourth round and we come out and after the fourth round we get out and I'm sitting there with Maria and just like I can see it in her eyes that nothing changed in the way she saw me. And there's no judgment. And there's no like I love you less because and like that just struck something deep within me where I was just like oh okay <laughs> okay I'm allowed to be here it's okay to stumble and fall and fail and I needed that at the beginning of that retreat because as someone that serves medicine you come into a retreat like that and you have this idea of like well I have a high high level of competency psychedelically because I've done so many journeys and I needed that breaking because that breaking right at the beginning allowed me to then the rest of the retreat have no notion of like I can do this I'm a badass it's like nope the fucking first thing broke you mm. it's okay though to be broken humbled you proceed exactly so we have some other journeys uh, I won't touch on all of them because each one's its own 20-minute story. But, you know, we did peyote. We did a day off. And then we did yopo. And this, of all the medicines we did there, was the one that really caused a shift for me. So yopo is 5-MeO-DMT, NN-DMT, and bufotenine. All in one. And as opposed to something like Bufo, which you smoke and, you know, you're in the experience for, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. This is snorted. So it goes in nasally and you actually chew the ayahuasca vine, the copy, beforehand. That's what allows it to be active in your system through a nasal passage. Oh, wow. So you snort it. And so it's an hour, hour and a half long Whoa. Bufo level intensity trip. Really? Mm-hmm. Complete ego death? Complete, like, whatever it is you need to see. <laughs> and Holy shit. I want to preface this by saying this is not, like, Bufo is not a medicine for everyone. <laughs> this is certainly not a medicine for everyone. Try other stuff first before you go to this. <laughs> it was... Just rocked you, huh? Mm. I get up to the altar where you take it and it's like for those that have done rape before you know you have the applicator that blows it into your nose well this is like a rape applicator but it's got two prongs so it goes in both nostrils and it's got one end on the other end and they lay out the yopo it's a powder and you snort it and you go and you sit back on your your stool now for those that are at home listening just imagine you're sitting on like a low stool with real no padding and the proper position to do yopo in, because it's a medicine of stillness. The goal is to be as still as possible while you're in the yopo. So the proper position to do it is with your arms on your knees and your head on top of your forearms. And there's space in between your legs where your bucket for purging goes. <laughs> so like 
what's hilarious to me is what does it tell you about the medicine that the proper position to do it is a position in which you can purge without having to move. Yeah. You just sit there. So you go back to your spot. I assume the position. And at first the come up, I'm like, this feels kind of like ayahuasca. Oh my God. I'm home. Amazing. This is so beautiful. (gasps) Wow. And then it sounds as if like if you're out on the street corner and it sounds as if someone is maybe a block away yelling, like screaming at the top of their lungs and almost as if they're running towards me. So it's just, uh, until they're right on me. And it's as if I was in the center of a thousand people all screaming at me in anger. Whoa. And it was vibrating every single molecule of my being with this like rage. I take a breath. Purge. And it stops for a second. I'm like, oh, thank God. What the fuck was that? And then I hear it again. Uh, I'm back in the middle again. Purge again. And I'm just there and I'm like fucking, I can barely sit up. I'm like, the room feels like it's spinning like a top. I'm just like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Like, psychedelics have always been so gentle with me. Ayahuasca has been super gentle with me. Mushrooms have been extremely gentle with me. Uh, Peyote, Ochuma have been gentle with me. This. Not gentle. Not gentle. And... After the experience, there's some other stuff that happened to the experience, but that's the main feature of that one experience. Dominic says to me, he's like, wow, Yopo is a really wise medicine. It really talks to you in the way you need to be spoken to. I was like, huh. I started to chew on that a little bit. I'm like, wow, fuck. Yeah, okay. And I was like, the clarity that came from that experience was that anger and rage I was experiencing was the part of me that knew and had probably known for a year six months at least that the relationship I was in was no longer the right relationship and that rage and that anger was the sort of king within me that knew that I had been looking away from that fact in every way I could find for six months to a year and that my little boy energy was constantly finding new ways to avoid that fact because I was in such a place of comfort and I was a person with which there was nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with her. She's such a beautiful human. So there was no easy thing for me to point to. Like, well, I'm just leaving because she's a fucking bitch. So she cheated on me 10 times. Like, that's why I'm leaving. There's no thing to point to. It's just, it wasn't right. And I had been ignoring that truth for six months to a year. And so there's this rage that the medicine spoke to me with of just wake the fuck up and look. Mm. If you want your life to go where it's supposed to go, wake the fuck up and look. Mm. If you're not willing to look at this, you will never get the things that are for you. 
not only will you never get the things there for you, but you are actively hurting this other person the longer you wait. Mm. And so I just sat with that and I was like, fuck. Okay. Wow. It had become clear. This is what needs to happen. So I sat with that. Had some other powerful Yopo experiences. Me and Maria had a bunch of shared visions. You know, we had, uh, we were up on the mountain during the mushroom hike and I was sitting behind her and I had my hands on her belly. We're looking out at this just impossibly beautiful mountain over the whole valley, the sacred valley there. And it like, I close my eyes for a second I have this vision and I'm in the backyard of a house and there's this little girl, maybe four years old, blonde hair, blue eyes. And me and her are just playing and playing, just laughing, just having the fucking best time. And I look over at the window coming out from the kitchen and it's Maria that's looking out through that window. She's just got this smile on her face, just fucking like, this is right where I need to be. I had that vision and I felt a lot of things of course I still feel a lot of things when I bring up that vision um and so I shared it with her and then she shared with me that she had had the same vision and that wow. she had had this vision of a little girl with blonde hair and blue eyes and she was sort of like you know she's Colombian dark hair brown eyes and so she sort of in her Just head the was like how, blonde, right, how the fuck that gonna happen like well yeah <laughs> because of the way I look clearly and it's like just mind bending we had both experienced that vision in separate medicine ceremonies it wasn't even the same medicine ceremony she had experienced that vision in an ayahuasca ceremony much previous to this and so that confirmation of like oh this is why you're here and so it was simultaneously this death of the old relationship and the blossoming of the new and all the fear and stuff that comes with that. And even, you know, we get into the final ceremony of Wachuma, which is one of the last ceremonies we did before we left Ecuador. And the Wachuma ceremony showed me, it was like, hey, do you remember those roses on that grave in Sedona? It's like, well, there's the red rose and the white rose. The red rose is the feminine, the white rose is the masculine. That was you and Maria. That's why those two roses were there. Mm on that grave wow that's what that signal was and just like blossomed this whole circle that had happened from that moment in Sedona all the way to the being in Ecuador and so it really revealed things to me of just like the ways in which I had allowed comfort to take over my life and that's part of what I saw in that initial Temes call was like you know I thought so much of myself I thought that my mind was this supremely honed weapon that was like god I am just fucking powerful and we all experience this in some form and especially when we have outside sources like you know my friends or family big dude you're fucking killing it right now but inside I knew that I wasn't pushing my edge <clears throat> that I wasn't living all the way on my edge and so when I got to that 10 minutes call it showed me it was like hey Mm. you're allowing yourself to believe a story that you know isn't true mm. so here's an example of it 
you're kicked out of the of the Temes Gaul. And so just that, the death of the old relationship, the blossoming of the new, I mean, it was the most transformative period of my life thus far. And also has had a lot of pain to it because it's, I mean, there's been various different points and I think I'll just share this as a bow tie on the story. There's been various different points throughout this process where I've felt the feeling of like, if a meteor hit the house right now and I died, that'd be okay. Wouldn't be the end of the world. If I got hit by a bus, like I'm not actively suicidal, but if something was to happen, oh well, because of the level of pain and thing that is important in sharing that is it feels like I'm dying it felt like I was dying because a part of me was dying and it's something that's not often understood about people who are suicidal or people who have deep depression is the feeling that a part of them needs to die but they're over identifying as if it's all of them that needs to die and so that was sort of the process I've been in over the last months that's been extraordinarily painful. But as that older part of me, the part that wanted to just be in comfort and not push my edge has died, the blossoming I felt within me has been worth every second of that pain. Thank you for sharing that, man. Mm-hmm. There's, <clears throat> there's, There's one thing that I just wanted to talk about uh, around that that came to me that I I would love to address and with visions one thing I've noticed a lot in the psychedelic space is the visions that we get Hmm. and they're not necessarily literal like Mm -hmm. a lot of them could be metaphors Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes we see these things and we automatically think that that is going to happen. That is like, Mm -hmm. that is the thing. And like, there's no other answer, but that, Mm -hmm. so everything we do, well, I saw that vision. So that's going to come true. Exactly. So I guess my question is when you do have visions like that, what is your perspective on almost like taking it with a grain of salt, so to speak, mm-hmm. as to like, because I've heard of people breaking up, getting in relationships because they mm-hmm. saw somebody in the astral. Exactly. Where do you stand with that? And where, when you see that vision, even though that's such a beautiful vision, mm-hmm. you know, where do you sit with that? Do you believe that that exact thing will happen, which it very well could, or does that symbolize something else? Yeah. So this is a beautiful question, something we talked about a little bit earlier that I think is so, so important. And I'll use my own story because I think it can illuminate and it's always, whenever possible, best to use my own story. So in this case, seeing that little girl, the interpretation of that is, A, so it's it's two data points. It's not just my data points that she received the same yeah, vision. Yeah, that's what's so fascinating. So that that helps, but the interpretation that is useful is still if this was to happen are you the type of man who would be a good father and that's the marching order from that vision become the man who would be a good father 
It brings up emotion because wow, it's man. it's fucking. <sighs> you know, I used to watch. It hits me even, man. Yeah. It's so beautiful. There's a a video I watch all the time. I used to watch it every time I'd have like difficulty accessing my emotions, and it's this one of my favorite electronic artists, Porter Robinson. He made this video. It's called Shelter. And we should watch it together after this because it's really beautiful. But it's this archetype of the good father in this music video. And it fucking breaks me open every fucking time. And I cry like a baby. And I always, and I don't even want to say cry like a baby anymore. I cry like a father. And yeah. I always used to wonder, like, why does this in particular make me cry so much? That's because that, to be that good, is the thing I wanted the most. And so to your original question, the important thing is interpret your journey in both ways. Like maybe that's the literal truth of the situation that I will be in that yard someday playing with that little girl. Yeah. But for that to happen, what needs to happen? And, you know, other examples like people experience aliens in their journey. Yeah. And we said this earlier, but like, if you see an alien in your journey, first look inward and ask, do I feel alienated from my friends and family right now? Do I feel like a stranger in my own hometown, state, city because of the work I'm doing? Because I've stepped into this more spiritual realm and I don't have anyone to relate to. Do I feel disconnected? So first analyzing through that lens, because that's what's going to give you the useful things for you to work on. Look, maybe you met a fucking alien. Who knows? It could be the case. But if you did meet an alien, how does that impact your life? But if you met an archetype that was telling you something, or even if you met a literal alien that was telling you something, wouldn't it be better to interpret it through the lens that serves you becoming the person you want to become? And so that's that process of if you have a vision, it the first interpretation should not be literal. <laughs> this is the biggest mistake. Again, let me hop on my soapbox for a second. I'll hop back off. <laughs> the biggest mistake I see made with people's journeys is they interpret things literally. They go, oh, I know for a fact this was a past life. Oh, I know for a fact I met this entity. And in that, the ego sneaks back in because that's a story of specialness. That's a story of I am different than other. I am special because this. And you are special, but you're special just like everyone else. <laughs> and so that analysis first of what would this be trying to tell me? If I saw a past life, let's say, and it showed me something, where's that energy needed in my life right now? Maybe it showed me I was a warrior in this fucking past life. And in my life, I've been feeling so weak and ineffective. It's possible it's a real past life. Who knows? But the message is the same either way. Bring that fucking warrior energy into your current life. Yeah, it doesn't have any use unless you're using it in this reality. Right. Unless you want to live in the past. <laughs> hmm. Hmm.
Yeah, because we can get so caught up in what we see or, again, something we were talking about. We should have recorded in the sauna, too. But <laughs> I, man, this has just been so Song fucking sessions. powerful. <laughs> but, like, this conversation has been so powerful. Um, is that, uh, shit, I lost my train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, with, yeah, like, with visions, like, really really understanding like how can i channel that into now like how can i Mm -hmm. right and that was like what i really got from doing ayahuasca is like i didn't have a lot of a lot of uh you know i'm seeing this why am i seeing this it was more of a feeling that Mm -hmm. it was like a wink like you know already Mm -hmm. and it was just like a, a reassurance that I felt that I'm on the right path that may be different for other people, Mm -hmm. but I've always honored my intuition. One thing I've been very good at is Mm -hmm. listening to that, even though things may have seemed crazy in the moment, Mm -hmm. but you're right. There's not enough conversations around what does that vision mean Mm -hmm. for here? Mm -hmm. Like it's, I saw, I saw this, I saw that there's not, those are so important to really understand like what is the reason behind that like what can i do from that that makes sense now Hmm. in my life and coming from somebody that doesn't see many visions Hmm. what distinguishes that i mean this is a whole probably another rabbit hole but like why do some get visions and some don't Hmm. does that mean like what is that like why does somebody get a vision like like from what you're understanding versus somebody that doesn't yeah so people have different ways of receiving information just the same way some of us learn better by listening some of us learn better by reading some of us learn better by experience um and there's an actual term for it i think it's called aphantasia don't quote me on that but i think that's the term for it which is with people who don't get mental images and essentially that like everything else is on a spectrum so you could be like slightly aphantageous i don't know what the plural of that would be but have aphantasia slightly where like you have trouble visualizing stuff or you could have it like full on where like you don't have when i say purple elephant nothing happens in your mind's eye you just understand the words purple elephant so personal theory that spectrum has something to do with whether people receive visions or not that it may just be literally part of your neural makeup that causes that to happen or not happen. But something I tell people before every mushroom journey is there are different ways of receiving messages, and they're all equally valid. Some people, and it sounds like you're this case, receive knowings. Maria's that way as well. Yeah. It's just a knowing comes in, like, oh, I know this. Yeah. I don't even quite know how I now know it, but I know it. Yeah. And that's sturdy. And some people have embodied experiences. People have bought, like entire experiences in the muscles of their body and when we break it down afterwards and it's like well yeah my left thigh was just killing me okay well what's happened in your life involving that side of your body it's like well i mean i guess this is just coming to me now but the last time that i had issues with that was when i was 10 and i got hit by a car because i was running away from my dad who was angry and say okay 
well, there's your, <laughs> there's your inroad. There's the experience you had. And some people, of course, receive visions. So it's this, um, and some people even receive auditory, like they'll hear things instead of see things. So these are all valid ways to have an experience and for whatever reason they do happen, it's important to know about them all and honor them all because a lot of people go into an ayahuasca or a mushroom experience and be like, I didn't see anything. It's like, well, you still had an experience. like Yeah, at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Some people don't even, it doesn't even kick in. There's some people in ours that were doing like five cups mm-hmm. that nothing was, but there's still work being done. You may not, for sure. it may not be in your direct consciousness of being able to like, but there's definitely going to be work that's being done. And you don't always need to know. Yeah, true. We need to, yeah, we're so, our ego, we need to know everything. We want to tell the story, you know? And that was a huge thing about my journey is that at first, you know, a lot of people like, it's a sacred journey for yourself, Mm. but I felt, and the kind of stuff that I do in my life, I had to share this shit. I had to. I'm in the same boat. (laughs) Like, I fucking had to, you know, I know. And, Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, maybe another ceremony, I won't, but this one needs to be. And mm-hmm. I just did a solo about it when it first happened. And I was like, that was the the truest feeling like I've probably ever felt mm. just expressing that. And, you know, talked to you about this a little bit, but like my real takeaway was like she, from, from my one ayahuasca, you know, doing it, sitting with it four nights was like, now that you've seen it, you need to get there without the medicine. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I tell this to people a lot too, you know, like I'm a proponent of all healing modalities. I'm a proponent of like healing itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I've tried a lot of different things and, you know, hypnotherapy, meditation, fucking all of it. And it took me to plant medicine. It took me to this amazing community. And I've, and I'm like, I'm still not done with it, but mm-hmm. I've got to the point where it's like, that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I'm really aware that, okay, cool. I've seen it. And I did it and I've done booth and like, I was like, holy fuck, that changed my life. Mm. But I'm also like, okay, what, what does this mean now? Mm. And for me, you know, I had, she was like, you know, you got to go do a 10 day Vipassana. Mm. You got to get up at four 30 if you want to channel that energy, mm. shit like that, that I haven't done yet. Um, and just basically telling me that you need to get here without you know, and now I'm going to Joe Dispenza, mm. which is cool because I want to see, because now I feel like it puts you in that seat of knowing the possibilities. Like, mm-hmm. fuck, I saw my third night. I was like, I get it. Okay. I was like, I never did do this again. Exactly. I felt it so deeply mm. in my soul. Like I was, she was literally like, write a paycheck for what you want to create. You mm. literally, you have it. And mm. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It was like this explosion. I was like, I can't handle this ah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. I was just Pure like, this creative is so force. fucking crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I saw myself in the mirror at the end of the night mm. for the first time. Yeah. And like, I was doing push-ups, and like, this was at the end of, uh-huh. dude, I had so much energy. Mm-hmm. I had a dance party in my room. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it had kicked in twice that night. That yeah. night was so crazy because I had this crazy experience with Aubrey, too, mm-hmm. and Vi. But like, that itself was, that was all I needed for everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but the main, the main takeaway from that was, you got this, mm-hmm. but you you need to learn how to get there without it so mm-hmm. that you can serve you know you know take if people need medicine you know the right mm-hmm. people to, to guide them there if you need 
you know, I want to be able to learn that shit so that I can offer that to people. Yeah, right. And I think that is so important that everybody understands is that mm. we're all at different levels of trauma, different levels of healing. And you know what, what's great for one person may not be great for everybody. Exactly. And that's, that's the exciting thing. It's like your journey, mm. but explore them all. And if the breadcrumbs lead you to you, all of a sudden you're hearing about ayahuasca mm -hmm. and you're like, mm -hmm. right? You're getting called to it, mushrooms, like listen to that. Mm. Because there's a reason, even if you're listening to this, mm. there's a reason you're listening. And, you know, I've, I've come across people for the first time that they're asking me about medicine. I'm like, look, I'm, I've, I've done it, but mm. I'm not like, mm -hmm. but it's the first time. And they're mm. super interested. Mm. And they're like, I've never heard about this. I've never. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you're being called to it. Like. Mm. If you keep seeing this, yeah. pay attention. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a really cool thing. And I think that we really do need to pay attention to like, that there's a lot of ways to heal. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to really pay attention to go back. What you're saying is like, what can I use now in my life to be the best that I can be right. in that situation? And that's so beautiful. You take away from seeing that little girl mm -hmm. is like, how can I be that father? Like, right. am I ready? Like, mm -hmm. how do I, you know, and that's so fucking beautiful, bro, mm -hmm. to be able to look at that and, and take that empowering message and ask yourself that question. Right. It gives me something to actually work on. And, you know, to your point, it's, if you're hearing this and some of the medicines we spoke about, you're like, that's really interesting. There's no rush. Yeah. Take a month. If it keeps coming up and a month from now, it's still present. It's a real calling. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Find the right person, the right set and setting. I've done plenty of talks about that. People can access, like, mm. find the right circumstance to do it. Choose carefully. Use your logical mind to choose the right circumstance in which to sit with the medicine. But trust that intuition. Mm. And then when you go through your experience, just understand that, like, if it doesn't change your life, then what the fuck did you go for? If it was just a cool psychedelic roller coaster, well, that's awesome, I guess. But is that what you went for in the first place? Or did you go so that you come out different? And you know what spoke to me when you were telling your story of the ayahuasca is like, if you imagine, and I love tree metaphors because I love trees, <laughs> you imagine the acorns in the ground and you got a chance to see like this silver etheric spiritual outline of what the tree will be mm. but it's just the outline so you have to water that fucking acorn yeah yes yeah <laughs> i just got a vision of avatar when you said that mm -hmm. that tree mm -hmm. and that night i remember Dude, I was like, I was an avatar, man. Mm. It was like I was in fucking <laughs> avatar. Everybody, I could, after the medicine, I could see everybody's face. Like, Joe Hawley looked like an avatar character. <laughs> Aubrey Vi was literally doing work. And, like, just, just like, see, hearing you say that tree, I just thought of that, like, avatar <laughs> tree. <laughs> it was just so fucking magical. Yeah. <laughs> to think about that mm. we can get to a place like that. Mm. But you're gift. right. It's only, it's there if you do the things. Right? But sometimes we need to see that 
Because sometimes it's hard to believe in things. And I feel like people that are successful just believe in themselves so fucking fully that they make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I think with ayahuasca, to being able to, for me personally, being able to see the feeling of knowing that it's possible if I get out of my own way, mm. that was just such a beautiful realization. It's what we talked about earlier with relationships. Yeah. If you didn't see a single good relationship growing up, the first thing for you to do is find a pattern that has worked for someone so you can at least observe it so that you could even believe it's possible. Mm. And ayahuasca and various different plant medicines give you this opportunity. Oftentimes they'll show you like, look, here's what you can be. This is fucking possible. Mm. And then you at least know it is possible. So you know it's okay to aim at it. Yeah. And this goes to like Joe Dispenza's work about visualizing, you know, not using the past to define who you want to be because mm -hmm. if you keep reliving that story you just become figment of the past right. over and over again so you need to put yourself in that feeling of the person you want to be right now and mm -hmm. feel that and that was like what I what I actually felt and that's why I'm going to be I'm interested to see in his meditations mm -hmm. if I can go back to that because even when we were in Costa Rica um, for our last fit for service mm -hmm that we were doing that divine feminine exercise. Mm -hmm. And I had some questions about seeing astral travel, like astral beings. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. You guys were, this is from my third night mm -hmm. in that, that tied together. Cause it's like that feminine energy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of answers came up for that, which were like really, cause I saw an astral being and I was mm -hmm. like, who is that? I saw Aubrey astral mm -hmm. traveling. And then I saw this other person and I thought it was just some being. And then mm -hmm. I got the answer that that was actually me. Mm -hmm. And I started to cry after yeah. and I was like, holy shit. It was, it was wild. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just to see, sometimes we just need to see what is possible because we don't believe in ourselves enough. And it's harder for some to put themselves in that position of that feeling of knowing who you want to be, that person you want to be, what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What would you do? How would mm. you operate? If you can do that in the present moment, you're already that. Mm. You don't need to wait to hit all the accolades. Oh, I have to have this, this, mm -hmm. this. I've got to have a million followers. I got to have this. No, you can be it now. Right. You just, that's the trick. Is the, I believe that the people that could really fucking manifest mm -hmm. can say, I'm already that. I'm worthy of that. I believe that mm -hmm. already. I believe that that is true, and that's what I want to create. But if you're waiting, I'm not enough until I'm that. Mm. That's what makes it harder, and it gets further, further away. Yeah. And it's that's that why it's cool to be able to feel that mm. that 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 feeling of already feeling like you own, you are that. Mm. It's and the that. difference between that person that can work ten years on the same thing, yes, and fail over and over and over and over again with not even a signal that it might work. Yeah. And then one day everything changes and immediately they're the most successful person. Yeah. Like that person, it's because of what you're talking about because every day when they're doing it, they know it's going to work. It's just yes. when, when's it going to work, but yes. it's gonna. So that self trust yes. is massive. And it's one of the gifts that plant medicines can give us is that knowing of like, Oh, okay. There's a lot that's possible. Like yeah. even just the experience itself, you have the experience and you're like, 
wait, if this fucking experience is possible, what else don't I know about that's fucking possible? And the my, our bodies are we're these we're these amazing creatures, bro, that can mm. create this fucking experience. Even Bufo, like mm. whether it's the medicine or it's not, we're still mm. doing it. Just to be able exactly. to see the different that there's so much more than just mm-hmm. our mundane lives of just fucking clocking in and clocking out mm-hmm. to some program. Yeah. It's like, it's so amazing to know that's possible. Right. And you can go deep in meditations, but mm. some people have a lot of resistance. Yeah. And I think, fuck, sometimes psychedelics can just be like, look, boom, here you, here you go. Mm-hmm. That's what you need. Here you go. Now mm-hmm. use it, but don't keep chasing the answers. Yeah. Get the answers and fucking and, and integrate that shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the you know the the blessing and the curse again a Carl Jung quote beware of unearned wisdom. So the blessing of psychedelics is that it happens then in the experience usually. The difficulty for most people with meditation is you really have to get that month of consistency where you do it every day, mm. and you do it every day for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes to get those true downloads from it. If you don't have that consistency, you're going to tell yourself that meditation didn't work. Yeah. Now, the double-edged sword is a lot of times people misidentify knowing with embodiment. So just because you know something from a journey does not mean shit. Mm. There have been so many times I've gone back into mushrooms, got shown the same thing. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, no, I knew it the first time. I technically had it in my brain and consciousness, but I didn't do shit about it. I wasn't embodied in it. What was one of those for you? I know drinking was for me. Yeah, drinking was one. Um, That was a pretty quick uh, turnaround for me. It was three ceremonies. And the first ceremony showed me like self-love. And then after that, I was still drinking. And the second ceremony showed me the pain I was causing others. Mm. And that dramatically reduced the drinking. And then the third ceremony showed me the peak of my potential. Like, here's what you could do. And every time you're drinking, you're sliding back to the bottom of the mountain. And that was what mm. kicked me. Fuck, it resonates so much. <sighs> I was like, fuck, okay, fair enough. Um, uh, that yeah. was one. And even more recently, I think just that commitment to internal truth, you know, that I had turned away from in my previous relationship where... I can see now that some of my journeys were poking at that. They were trying to show me. And psychedelics are interesting because they won't make a decision for you. So this has always been interesting. You can go into a psychedelic and ask, like, what about my relationship? And psychedelics almost always is going to go, I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Figure it out. It's your choice. It's like they don't want to take that power from you. They want you to make the choice. They'll give you some awareness. So even in that, there was the aspect of, like, I'd go in and be like, well, what's... You know, what's the thing I can do in this relationship? And psychedelics would almost like shrug their shoulders and like, I don't know. What is the thing you can do in this? And just that acceptance. Like, That's exactly fuck. what it does. It's the most frustrating thing sometimes. Like, can you just tell me? I just need to know. And it's yeah. like, do you, dis- like, something that comes up to me first. Well, we already know already, too. Well, and what comes up to me so often, because I see a lot of people who it's their first journey and their, pur- their intention is, I want to know my life's purpose. And it's like, what makes you think you are ready to know that? Oh, yeah, good point. Because fucking most people, me, even at this point in my life, I know there's more pieces of my purpose I'm uncovering right now that are coming to me. I wouldn't have been ready for this shit four years ago. 
if some of the stuff I'm doing now came to me four years ago, I would have been so terrified of it. I would have ran the other direction. Same. So it's like just that humbleness of like, Hey, whatever's coming up is what's coming up. And that's the thing you need to work on to be ready for the thing you actually want. So maybe it's not this journey. Maybe it's the next journey a year from now. Yeah. It's also be careful what you ask for because <laughs> you get, and you're like, Oh fuck. But you asked for this. You know, you can only get what you can handle. And that's a thing too, I, I think is a good message too with even medicine. In life, you get what you can handle. You know? Like you only get that. And the key is what you could handle. Yeah. Not what you will handle. Because yeah. that's where it gets in that dismissive spiritual bypassing. Yeah. It's so you see people like something I say mm. before a journey is like the only things that will come up are things that you are capable of working through. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're going to make the choice to work through it. Good point. You may choose to resist the whole fucking way and it'll be painful as hell. Good point, man. Hmm. Yeah. That's so true. Whew. <laughs> what are we at for? That's well, true. we're almost near in two hours. <laughs> when did that happen? Dude, that was so, that was fucking fire, man. Oof. That was such a good, <laughs> oh, wow. If um, people want to learn more about <laughs> what you guys are up to, <laughs> Can you just kind of speak to that a little bit and, and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So best place to connect with me on social is Instagram. That's at Alexander Diesel. I will be changing that Instagram title someday, but so far I don't know what I'm changing it to. So that's what's staying. And just a funny side note, that was because my favorite brand of jeans when I made it, my Instagram account was Diesel Jeans. Well, they're the best. They are great jeans. They're but the best. Just so funny. Just like the arbitrary. It's like having your Hotmail account still. And it's like <laughs> Pussy Slayer 52. And you're like, fuck. Exactly. Why is this what I have? <laughs> Mine so. was Pro Boozer 83. Exactly. It's like, why was I pro in that? My dad was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. So I almost want to just keep that Instagram handle forever. It was just a reminder not to take myself too seriously. Yeah. Um, but that's where you can connect with me on Instagram. Uh, you can check me out on my website, which is www.throughtheveil.co, .co, not .com. And uh, you can also find my podcast, which is called Through the Veil. I've got an episode of Lance on there, which is a beautiful episode to go start listening to. And I've been on a little bit of hiatus, but I got some fire episodes coming out soon, talking a lot about my journey and stuff. So those are the main places. Typically, if you go onto my website, you can get on my mailing list and you can hear about future uh, medicine ceremonies and different types of retreats I'll be putting on. So, yeah. Awesome. So are you doing, are you doing like one-on-one coaching and all? Are you just doing the ceremonies? Like talk us a bit of that if somebody wants to work with you. Absolutely. Great question. And the thing I always forget about, but ironically, one of the things I'm potentially the best at, (laughs) um, coaching. So I do life coaching and I also do integration coaching. So if you're someone who has had a big psychedelic ceremony recently and you want to unpack it further and you want someone who can hold you accountable to the things that you learned in your journey and how to make those an actual pillar of your life, you can contact me through my website. We can set up a session, do a discovery and find out if we're a good fit. Um, It's a really beautiful way to kind of deepen your ability to work with what you learned because oftentimes we can, again, have a beautiful psychedelic roller coaster that we went on and we just kind of put it in a box and especially if you don't have the community of people to speak to about it mm. it's really helpful to have someone as a coach or as a friend who you can really open up to and go here's what happened in my journey 
because I know a lot of people come back from ayahuasca, let's say, and maybe none of their friends or family have ever done any psychedelic and they have no one to talk to about it. Yeah. And so then they just kind of like deal with it alone, which is not the best way. So you can find all that on the website. cracked open and then they have nowhere to talk. It's crazy. (laughs) On your own. I can't imagine not having like a group of people like, hey, did you, you know, just to bounce shit off? What happens for most is they tell their, their mom and their mom goes, are you crazy? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Are you okay? And then immediately their entire experience is dismissed and totally. they like put it in a box. So Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's great that you you do that and I'm just inspired by your journey and, you know, your commitment to growth and, mm-hmm. and helping people and um yeah, man, it's it's going to be exciting to see with, you know, the next year, if you think how much has changed in the last year, just like how everything unfolds. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, dude, this was fucking fire, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, man. Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate the work you do and the careful, intentional questions you ask. This is a really beautiful space to share. So thank you as well. Oh, yeah, bro. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>